mindful of your of your personal schedules. The downside, though, is you don't actually get to chat with each other too much, except for unless you get here a little early or stick around after a chat. So please do that. Um, some of you have been here for the first the first few classes already and kind of at least getting familiarized with people's faces. Also, Sunday morning, the reason why we moved this class off of Sunday morning was to free you guys up on Sunday morning to actually go to Bible study. So go to Bible study, drop off the kids. Um, if, you're, if you're like, got a foot in, foot in senior high youth, come to senior high youth if you want or come to adult Bible class with me. Um, but then you can actually start to familiarize yourself with more people in the congregation. So that's, that's the idea there is to to have time for fellowship and not cut into your, your uh, not add additional time to your, um, to your Saturday morning or having you come here. Today, what I, what I want to talk about is the Ten Commandments. Now, up till now, we have, we've, for those of you who are kind of just joining us, we have two, two new groups here. Um, we've really just started with the name of God that he puts upon us in holy baptism. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means, the significance of God's name. And then really, uh, a, little, a, a few notes here and there on what it means to be a member of a church and why we even have this class and all that. But now we're going to kind of start to turn the corner into unfolding the, really the meat and potatoes of the, the teaching of the Lord's church as it's unfolding the catechism. As a reminder, that big book with the black and maroon cover on it that you got there, actually it's, a big, it's the smallest of the books on your um, the catechism is only the first 30 pages. What we refer to as the catechism is just the, it's the, if you were to boil down the Bible, because really when someone asks you what you believe, you say the Bible. And then you say, okay, well, what's that? And you start, if you start with Genesis, it, they're going to get bored after like five seconds of you talking and you're not going to get to the cross, right? Um, so the, what we want to do the, with the idea of the, the catechism is it, it condenses, it boils down distills, it's a good alcohol term, we'll go with distills. <laughs> it distills the Bible into a concentrated, what are the main things? To be, as a Christian, what are these main, the main, the main tenets of the Christian faith? And that's what the, the six chief parts of the catechism are. Um, so we start, uh, Luther actually starts his with the Ten Commandments, and so uh, we'll kind of follow suit with the Ten Commandments. And as we, as we start to get into that, if you'll turn your hymnals to page, I always get it wrong, 150, is it 155? 151. One fifty one in the front of the hymnals, Divine Service Setting 1. We've talked a little bit about the different services and why. Um, and we don't... You're looking at a hymnal that you're never actually going to use. I mean, we, we used to be like, die hard. You got to use the hymnal. So teach the kids to use the hymnal and all this. And then I had children. And my wife was saying, you know how hard it is to hold a baby and a hymnal and turn the pages? And then, and then for it to be like mindful of visitors, like trying to turn pages and figure out different page turns and all that. And why don't we just put it all in the bulletin? Well, because it costs money. And this costs money, so just use this. Well, all right, well, it turns out that it costs us like seven, we, we count, 11 cents a bulletin is all it costs. And we can put pretty pictures in there and, and we kind of trim it up to be, to make it, to try to make it user friendly for, for everybody in the family. So we don't actually use the hymnal uh, too much anymore, but for those of you, if, you're, if, you're love, if you love to sing, 
especially in four-part harmony. We, we can't actually print the four-part harmonies of our, of our great Lutheran hymns in the bulletin. It's a copyright problem because that's how the, the publishing house tries to have a stronghold on you still need to buy the hymnals. Even if you're going to print it out, they want you to buy the hymnals. So if you ever want to sing four-part harmony, grab the hymnal, turn to the page, and we print all that out for you. Uh, page 151 divine is, is just one of the divine services that we, that we draw from on Sunday morning. And so far, we've just talked about that first line in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what it means that God has put his name upon us, that he has, um, he's promised to be with us always. He has, he's moved in. <laughs> so just like in, uh, in the Old Testament temple, we talked about he put his name in the Old Testament temple and promised to be with his people and his people Israel in the temple for their mercy, in the same way he puts his name and his presence upon us, promising to be with us always. So what that means is we have the God who created the heavens and the earth and died for us and and strengthens our faith, has promised to be with us always. And so we are able to say things like, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Right? Though I walk through the... Valley of the shadow of death. What? I will fear no evil because I'm a pretty big guy. No? Because thou art with me. So that is, so it's the same, it's the same theology of God being with his people is our confidence in the face of death and the face of all that would cause us fear. So I fear no evil. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's just a reality. That's just what we know in our experience. That's the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our lives. I fear no evil, not because I'm really, really good um, or, or because I'm really, really faithful, but because he is. I shall not want because he's with me and he's overcome all the stuff that would hurt me. Now, we're gonna, as we get into the Ten Commandments, I want to do a little, a little bit on confession and absolution, which will unfold later. But we start right off the bat. We start off, we walk into the Lord's house. We, we, he's called us together in his name. And then we say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Quoting right out of 1 John. So it's like kind of a downer. <laughs> I've come to church to be, to be kind of like motivated or, or to, to, be, to be made happy or to feel good. Or, and right away you're bringing up my sin right off the bat. What's up? Well, this is the, the, the gospel. The, the, uh, the, the medicine is not appreciated until, unless you know you're sick. No one wants to undergo chemotherapy unless you've been diagnosed with cancer. Then you're like, well, this is my only shot. I got to let's do it. No one, and the, side, you know, the miserable side effects of that are not pleasant, but it's kind of like, all right, it's, this is ultimately good for me. Medicine is good only if you're sick. Same with open heart surgery. <laughs> all the blessings of modern medicine, so too with the gospel of our Lord Jesus, the forgiveness of sins does you no good if you don't have any sins. So we start off with confession. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So we're, we're kind of off and running with, I have sin. Well, what is that? What, who, de- who says what sin is? Who, def- who defines the line? What's that? Are all sins equal? Are all sins equal? Well, so, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question. I mean, right? Stealing a piece of candy from a store versus running someone over in traffic. <laughs> yeah, well, so I guess to ask, 
Um, and that doesn't matter. But regardless of this, the, the, the way that our sin impacts our neighbor, so that's, a, that's the biggest measurement, right? So some sin hurts our, our neighbors more than others, um, and so it seems like they're unequal. And yet all sin, regardless of how it impacts our neighbor, exposes our, our idolatry of self, how we want to be God. And that's, and that's what we're going to get at with the Ten Commandments as, as the Lord gives them to us. And then, so as we, and I'll, and I'll, I'll come back to it, but um, so we confess our sins and receive the absolution. So just a quick note on confession and absolution, because I, I, I like to dip, my, dip our feet into the divine service at the start of every one of our classes, just so you guys are learning more about why we worship this way. We, some would say you, you, you wipe off your feet before you come into the house. I don't like that analogy as much as the Lord calls us together to his name to receive his gifts. It's why we're here. That's why we begin with a processional cross. Um, a, it keeps the, the high school kids, it gives them something to do. <laughs> uh, somebody's got to carry the cross. We have them do it. But really, we're, we're here because Jesus Christ died to have our sins forgiven. And here at his church, he's delivering that gift to us. It's why we're here. So right off, like why, why wait? Um, like the, the, filet is, the filet is off the grill why, how is it going to sit there? Let's, let's eat this baby. So we walk in the door, we have our sins forgiven, right? Right off the bat. And that's good. And we don't have a lot of time to really reflect upon that. Because what we, if you'll see the little rubric there on page 151, so if we say we have no sin, but if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just forgives our sins. And then we, the little red rubric, silence for reflection on God's word and for self-examination. Always. So here, here's me turned around confessing my sins. And I've got like the five-second rule going. How long do I wait? And what are you doing? Are my kids going to, shh. Are we, are we, or you're just, running, you're just getting your pastors can't see us. Go, go, go. Side aisle. Go. <laughs> it's remarkable. Like from the, from the time I do the opening invocation, I turn around and I turn back and it's like a different congregation. Where do these people come from? Uh, <laughs> it's great. Um, but the idea, so you don't actually have, I think it's a stupid rubric. Your reflection upon your sin, it's not like if you don't get it out in front of you before God, it's like he's not going to clean it. Um, it. Rather, a better way to think about it would be we're simply we're throwing ourselves before God of the sins that we know that we're guilty of and the ones that we that we. Oh, even as we, as we say it, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. That is to the core. So not just the sins that I do, I'm actually confessing not my sins, but my sinfulness. I'm confessing, I'm starting with my nature problem because our sin, what we, what we typically think of as the sins that we're confessing to God are the fruits on the sinful tree. So we start off with saying, you know what? Just in case I miss any of these individual fruits, I'm gonna confess the whole tree. But it's the individual fruits that often plague us and hence, the Lord's gift of confession absolution was always actually initially private, which is, I mean, it's like, thanks to the Roman Catholic Church, you've got the, the pictures in all the movies of uh, like somebody giving confession. There's always some jokes there and some irreverence, and it's always a funny thing. When was your last confession? Whatever. And that, and that unfortunately for us, uh, bitters the taste of private confession because of the idea of penance. So our, our, our issue with private confession and absolution 
is not that it exists, because Jesus actually instituted it that way. Our issue is making forgiveness of sins contingent upon a person's enumerating the sins, like actually listing it off, uh, as though if I don't get it on a list out of, my, out of my mouth and before this priest, it's not going to be forgiven before God, and I still have to do whatever merits of penance that the priest requires of me as a, as a response to that confession, right? So that would be our issue, is that we don't want to make forgiveness of sins contingent upon anything within us, even our ability to confess it. Uh, however, we do know that there are individual sins that plague us, and many of them are private in nature. And so the, the church actually retains private confession absolution. We have a little nook in the, um, in the sanctuary. Some of you might have seen it. If you, ever, if you ever get ushered up to communion on the right side, and you go around the side, like all the way to the end, you're probably thinking at that point, I hope I don't run out of pad to kneel on or something. But if you look up, there's, like, there's a crucifix that we like bolted to the wall right there. And so whenever people request private confession, we, um, we just kind of like lock off the sanctuary and go right there. And all private confession absolution is, for those of you who haven't done it, it's exactly like, it's exactly like corporate or public private, conf- public private. It's exactly like public confession, except for there's a, an additional thing that says, what's particular, particularly bothering me is, and that's, where people are so hammered by their guilt or shame or whatever, they, they need to get it. They want, it, they want Jesus' forgiveness held down, like specifically on that spot. Like, tss, let, it, let it do its healing. Um, because that's kind of how, it, well, you, do, you, you do this anyway, right? I mean, how often, unless you've committed a felony and you're scared to even say it out loud because Mother Apple is always listening. <laughs> but people, what do they talk to their hairdressers about? They call their best friends for justification for their sins, right? So we, we kind of complain about, I, I said this to that person. And your friends, those who we would claim to be closest to us, are supposed to help us justify why what we said or did was good. And if they say it wasn't, then they're, they're not my friend anymore. I, I should be able to get my sins off my chest if you're really my friend and you, they don't, know, they don't notice they don't forgive you. They'll help you self-justify. Like, you're right, they deserved it. He never really loved you, or whatever the, whatever the self-justification might be. And instead of self-justification, what, what our Lord has for us here, as we've come before him to confess our sins in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. So our sins of commission, we'd say, the sins that we've actually committed against our neighbor, um, but also omission. So the good that, I'm, that the law calls me to do to my neighbor that I've just not done. So I'm convicted for not only the things that I've done, but also the things I've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, which is the main problem. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. That's a hard one for me. <laughs> that we justly deserve his eternal yeah. punishment. Yeah. Is that you individualize it rather than, you know, yes. What do you mean? I, I, I don't have the words yet, but I mean, this is one of the core problems, and it has to go back with the Catholic, Catholic, you know, confession, priest, all that. It's, I'm working through it. Okay, good. <laughs> That's well, doing. we'll keep we'll keep working through. Yeah. So it's what we just we justly. So according to just means fair. So according to fairness, 
I deserve eternal punishment and present eternal punishment. So I, I, I deserve the wrath of God upon me now and eternally because of my sin, because that's what my sin requires, according to the one who created me. So that's the, that's the state that my sin has left me in. And then we say, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. So mercy is what? If you were to define mercy, it is not giving the punishment that is deserved. So God's mercy is, is only mercy because we deserve actual punishment. So we're asking him to, to deal with us according to his mercy, which is like the only, the Psalms are constantly referring to God according to his mercy, right? So it's always appealing to God because of his mercy, not, because, not according to what we justly deserve. We don't want God to be fair. If God's fair, we're in trouble. So according to our mercy, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. And then we have forgiveness. And this is an interesting thing. So Almighty God in his mercy again, his mercy has given his son to die for you. Yet Jesus died on the cross for the whole world, but he specifically died for you. And for his sake, forgives you all your sins, especially that one that's the only one that maybe came to your mind because it's, it's like plaguing you right now. Or if you're having trouble coming up with a list, um, we, he's given us the Ten Commandments, and we'll go over those here in a bit. As a, then the absolution, as a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, that is, he has sent his pastors to say this, I forgive you all your sins. That I, not him. Did you ever catch that? So Jesus forgives you all your sins. Jesus wants you to hear from him that your sins are forgiven. And so he sends his pastors to speak his word. So, that, so what authority means, it's to speak on behalf of another that carries the same weight. Like when your girls go tell your sister to, to clean a room. If, if one of them just says, go clean your room, it doesn't mean anything. It's maybe cause a fight. But if one says, mom said to go clean your room, then all of a sudden she's not speaking anymore. It's, it's about what mom has said. And so in the same way, Jesus says, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And so he sends out the pastor who stands before you to speak not his own words or wisdom or counsel, but God's sure and certain words, especially the words of forgiveness. Hence, the uniform. Uh, I, I try, when I'm, when I'm serving as a pastor in any capacity, when people expect me to be a pastor, I try to wear the uniform because the only reason I'm in this job is not because of anything within me. It's only because of what the office is. What qualifies a person for the office is him, not anything within me. And so we want to cover up the man with sin. So that's the kind of the symbolism is the, the darkness of sin and then the, the white is the word that's spoken. So a reminder to you, because I can't see it in myself unless I look in the mirror, and I don't want to do that too often. <laughs> so it's a reminder of you that, hey, don't put your pastor on a pedestal. He's a sinner, and the only thing that makes him different is he's given to speak. And he belongs to someone else. That's why this thing is actually called a, not a voice box, but a what? What's this thing called? Collar. What, do you, what, do you put, what kinds of things do you put collars upon? Dogs. dogs. Now, if you run across two dogs, one has a collar, one does not, what would you say about the one? One is, exactly. I, well, this one with the collar belongs to someone else. Uh, so, like, I'm the Lord's man, given to speak what he has sent me to speak, not according to my own power, 
certainly, obviously, but according to his authority. And that changes then as you as the hearer are able to hear that your sins are forgiven because God said your sins are forgiven. Now, he wanted it, he wanted it carried out this way. Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, go out, say their sins are forgiven. It's gonna carry all the weight in heaven and on earth as if I said it myself, boom, right? So if you're ever, uh, if you're ever part- particularly, yeah, go ahead. So you cannot do this on your own. You need to be in a congregation with a pastor. No, this is the beauty of it. So it's all, it's all about certainty. So the forgiveness of sins that was won on the cross is delivered wherever the Lord Jesus wants it delivered. And that, so that forgiveness can be delivered like within a, within a conversation of a marriage perhaps. So for me to, for, for, for one of you to look at your spouse or look at a colleague or somebody and say, I forgive you. You're doing nothing more than, than echoing what Jesus has said to you. You're shining, you're reflecting it, right? So the, the only... That's not quite my question. That, that's somebody forgiving somebody else. Be kind to me. And, <laughs> but within yourself, can you have that conversation with God and be forgiven without the voice of God? Yes, but, but so it's like saying to my child, yes, so period. Yeah, so, forget, so confess your sins to God and know that your sins are forgiven because Jesus died. So tonight when, when, I, when I get back from here, assuming I make it back in time, depending on how many of you ask me questions afterward, which is fun. But if I get back just in time, Annabelle will be waiting. Uh, get very much against my direct prohibition. Do not wait up for me, go to bed. And I'll get home and Mandy will say, yeah, she's waiting for you. So I'll go in there and I'll just shut the door. And because she knows that I love her. Or I do what I actually do. I can't help myself. It's making the problem worse, actually. I jump in the bed, give her a big kiss, tell her I love her, which is better. Maybe not from a parenting strategy standpoint, but which, which confesses? Does she, does she love, does she know that I, same with my wife. She knows that I love her. I don't need to tell her I love her, right? Um, so Jesus wants his, his gospel, his love, declared with, and, and not just declared in general, but also declared personally and with certainty. And that's where ultimately a lot of, a lot of what we're doing in, in the divine service, for example, it's, it's dripping with the words of scripture. Like for example, having confession absolution coming straight out of John 20, it's for your certainty because Jesus said to do this. Same with, same with like the body and blood and the Lord's Supper. Same with can I baptize, can I use Gatorade? What's in your little thing? I know it's not water. What is that? It's water, you healthy little girl. <laughs> She's like, I'm not little. I'm in ninth grade. Leave me alone. Uh, but I mean, so if we're in a pinch and all we had was Gatorade, well, it's mostly water. Right? Even more water than Gatorade would be Bud Light. <laughs> so you're in a crisis. You've got Bud Light. Uh, it's an emergency situation, perhaps, or, or maybe just to prove a point that it's about God's word, we could use Bud Light because <laughs> we want the baby to stink like beer. That's an absurd example, but what have I done when I, as soon as I step, when I step away from the Lord's institution? Same with the Lord's Supper, um, I could say Doritos and Pepsi, the classic example there. I've got some bread-like product and a liquid-esque product 
So could I, could I just say the words of institution over those things? And would it be the Lord's Supper? And would it deliver the forgiveness of sins? We've said the words, and, and Pastor, you said the word is the main thing, right? Well, okay, so I'll give you that. The word is the main thing, but all I've done is taking steps away from certainty into doubt. So the more we, the more we distance ourselves from the Lord's certain institutions, all we're doing is creating uncertainty for people. So that's why... Like, for example, here, we, we certainly want to forgive sins right and left in our, in our families, in our households, for fathers to model that, for their children to fathers to forgive their sins, to, have our, to actually to forgive one another. Actually, have you ever, like, what do we say to one another? I'm never going to get to this handout, Beth. Um, what, what do we say to one another when we actually... So if I, if I said to uh, um, Danielle, uh, Danielle, um, earlier when I forgot your name, I'm sorry... And you say, what? It's okay. It's okay. Is it okay? I'm going to forget your name forever then, which I will. No, you won't. Not now. <laughs> Maybe. You'd be surprised. That's Beth. <laughs> I forget everybody's names. Terrible at names. But the idea is, it's not okay. I mean, forgetting a name is a simple, I mean, really, you're, maybe you just don't care. But what if I actually said something that hurt your feelings? or actually did something. Not, not that any of you would ever have any challenges in your marriage from time to time where you might say or do something that might cause some kind of attention. And one spouse says to the other, I'm sorry. And the other one says, it's okay. Keep, it's okay. It's okay means you haven't done any wrong. Please continue. We don't mean it's okay though. And fortunately, the spouse knows that they don't mean that it's okay keep doing it. It means we're cool. But it's a hard thing to say because it just seems so un... It's it kind of, these are words that belong to Jesus. To say, I forgive you. Because he spoke those words to me and I don't deserve it. So I speak them to you in the same way. So we're showing that same mercy and kindness to our, to our spouses, to our friends. So we, so to, we try to model that for our children and, and f- force them to say, and now, of course, like legalistic little Everly, it's like... Uh, I said, I'm sorry. And she didn't say, I forgive you. <laughs> it's like, now it's a contingent thing. You have to forgive me if I say these magic words. But that's, well, the idea is to get that vocabulary in our mouths because that's the vocabulary that God uses for us. And it actually, it is, it hurts more. It hurts you to say it. Think about that. If I actually say, it's okay, what I'm really saying is, you can't really hurt me because I'm a pretty tough dude. But if I say, I forgive you, I'm, I'm actually admitting what? That you've hurt me, which means I'm vulnerable and hurtable. So to actually say the words of forgiveness indicates that wrong has actually been done. So this is our refusal, our refusal to show weakness um, is kind of wrapped into this as well. So um, anyway, so that's confession absolution for you. Let's get into the law. Uh, and your t- on your handout here, are you good? Anything about me? We'll, we'll come back. We'll circle back for confession. I just wanted to kind of, with a, to introduce the law, we need to know why we're confessing our sins and what our sins, uh, what our sins even are. So on your handout there before you, you've got some stuff about law and gospel. I want to think about how I want to start. Um, let's, just for the sake of time, let me think here. 
When, let's just jump right into the Ten Commandments. Um, when were the Ten Commandments given? Moses. So that's a who answer. <laughs> At the time of Moses. At the time of Moses, but better. So pro- after, what's the context? After Exodus from Egypt, yeah. in the desert, the Jews are quite demanding and also not appreciative. And they keep uh, relying on false gods. And so Moses says, hold on a second. I've got some things to say. Good. Now let's, let's look in your Bible, one of the other Burgundy books. How many books we need? Oh, by the way, a little uh, plug for Concordia Publishing House. If you don't have a, if you don't have a Bible, steal one. Uh, please, it's not, take it. Um, if you don't have a hymnal, you can feel free to take the hymnals as well. If you're looking for a good gift for like a, a ninth grader who's being confirmed or something, uh, or, or somebody else. So the, the, um, if you're familiar with the concept of a self-study Bible uh, with like, significant footnotes and articles and everything, this is a, the Lutheran Study Bible was put out in like the mid, like 2005, six, somewhere in there. And it's put together by our seminary professors and pastors, most of them, like I know, like so my vicar supervisor, my home pastor. And the reason why that's significant is they're old guys. They're like the guys who've been doing this game for a long time. The same questions always come up. What are my people asking? That's all. That's the idea. So they, they, they crafted this thing carefully for, uh, for a uniquely Lutheran audience. And this is the first one. The old, if, you have, if you've been Lutheran for a while, you have the old like, uh, NIV self-study Bible. It's actually a Baptist study Bible that we tried to baptize. I mean, literally. We t- <laughs> it injected it with sacrament stuff. So if you're looking for a useful self-study Bible, that's a good one. And actually, get a Bible. If you buy one, don't buy that one because the words are far too small. And your eyes, when I bought it, my eyes work better than they do now. And now I can't see the footnotes. <laughs> Turn to Exodus 20. So the Ten Commandments are referenced twice. They're given in Exodus 20 and then referenced again in Deuteronomy 5. And deutero means what? Yeah, second. Namas means what? What? No, you go. Namas? No. Law. That's why I looked at you. I thought maybe it was on some, some like Latin... Uh, Something in your office, maybe. Deuteronomos is the second, the second giving of the law. That's why it's, that's the entire book of Deuteronomy. It is, hinges on that it's the second time that the, that the law is given to Moses. Exodus chapter 20. Ten Commandments. So like you say, they've been led out of Israel. It hasn't been or led out of Egypt. They've been in slavery in Egypt this whole time. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes off into the list. It doesn't say, by the way, it doesn't say these are the Ten Commandments. They're not, they're not actually called commandments. They're, they're, when, they, when they're referred to, they're called as words. They're called the Ten Words. Um, but they're not given as, and the, we think about laws as like the, 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 the rules at the pool, like no Basically, no fun. Like, why is it you have to tell your kids not to run? Well, we, we don't want them to run because they'll slip and hit their head and potentially die, whatever. But actually, running at the pool, I mean, it's fun. They're used to see the smile on their face when they're running. 
Same with like no, no alcohol at the pool. <laughs> like, why would you not have alcohol at the pool? Well, because we want you to get drunk and like, or, or shatter the glass and hurt somebody, right? So the, ultimately the, the rules are, are, they're not just to have no fun, but the rules are actually for your good. But even so, they're kind of disconnected from anybody who actually loves me. They're just kind of general rules. What's helpful here is he starts with not, here's all the things you can't do, but he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When we think about the Ten Commandments, our tendency is maybe to often start by thinking about them as a list of to do and not to do. Uh, from a, some kind of harsh, judging, wrathful God. But instead, they're given in the context of, I love you. I've led you out of slavery. I've led you into the promised land only because of my mercy and my love for you. And now, um, don't, don't cheat, don't steal, don't do mean things, don't hurt each other. I'll meet you here on Sundays. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and it'll be okay. I'll be with you always. That's a, so it's, it's, it's put in this wonderful context of love. And then when a person says yes to that, that's faith. So our faith is saying yes to God's, like wanting to be our God and show his love to us. That's our, our, our obedience, you could say, is saying yes. I, uh, yes, God, you love me. Yes, I don't, I don't want to steal other people's stuff. But it's in our sin where we actually see our our unbelief. And that gets what our deserving punishment and stuff. So in our, as we sin, what we're doing is we're cutting ourselves off from God. We're saying, I would rather be my own God and not have you be my God. All of our sin, all, all the commandments are exposing different ways that we would rather be our own God and wander off from him. And so you go through, I mean, the, 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 long, the long list of the commandments there, of uh, or the, the, the Ten Commandments. There's, we could spend a long time of each of those. Obviously, in our social context, um, it's just for the sake of, I always like to make this clear, because you guys are coming into our church body, and we've had issues before where I wasn't clear enough about these things. So uh, the Lord does, ex he gives us the commandments for one main reason, what? Expose our sinfulness. Yeah. Well, ultimately, though, why does Can he want to... get into heaven? <laughs> no. To create a well, just no. society. To create a just society? Yeah. But, so he gives us the law because he loves us. And so that then is because it drives us to Jesus. So it shows us our need for a savior, right? And it creates a just society, Right? Apart from any mercy from God, it would be our, our way into heaven. But notice the Ten Commandments are, are, not, are not given to sinless people. They're given already in the context of fallen humans. So the Ten Commandments are given in this, God saying, here's, here's how to love your neighbor. Here's how much I love you because of who I am. Here's how I'm setting you to love your neighbor. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, I ran across a quote today. How did it go? Don't, um, it's like, don't put your, your nose in a, uh, a meat slicer. <laughs> it's like, is that a harsh thing? Don't, don't hurt yourself. It's a crazy thing. The, the commandments are given to us because our tendency is to want to hurt ourselves. And so we think, oh, God's just trying to tell us that we can't have any fun. 
Well, it's ultimately not fun. There's an element of fun in all of our sins. It's because ultimately our sins are, are um, tainted versions of good things. An easy one to pick on there would be adultery, right? So ultimately, sex is given as a good gift within marriage. And so the, the seeming temporal pleasure offered by sins of adultery are not themselves fulfilling. Um, but any kind of goodness that they come, any kind of goodness that they would falsely promise to us, that the devil would falsely promise to us, kind of hinges on that it's, it's, a, it's a, a twisted version of something that's good. But like how often does adultery actually work out well? Like the, the brokenness that comes, the lack of trust, I mean, lying. If you want to end a friendship, end a relationship, lie. How, how does it work out for you when, you're, when you lie to people? Or, when, or does it ever hurt when people lie to you? Not, up, um, not defending people's reputations, or rather speaking ill of other people, hurting other people's reputations. Why do we do that? And when does that work out well for you? So it's nice to like to tear down John's reputation because if, if, I'm, if I'm joking around with Lee in, in John's absence, hurting his reputation, it's like we're trying to raise ourselves up, right? And to push him down. But we're not actually raising ourselves up, right? nor are we actually pushing him down. That's what we're trying to do, ultimately. And then we look around and John's standing there. You ever put your foot in your mouth like that before? Then you have to say, I'm sorry. Then you have to say, and then he has to say, I forgive <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the damage, uh, the Proverbs are pretty great about this. The damage done by the tongue is worse than by the sword. So to actually, to say I'm sorry is good and to say I'm, I forgive you is good, but to try to undo that, to actually rebuild the trust that's broken by lying or adultery and um, to, from hurt reputations, ultimately our sin hurts us. And it hurts others, right? So Jesus, or God knows that. He's trying to protect us from ourselves when he gives us the commandments. Don't do these things. It's for your own good. And when you do it, when you do it, I'll be standing right here to come for you in mercy, right? So come to me. You bear my name. Come to me. I forgive you your sins. But if you want to have it your own way, like if you want to live according to you, if you want yourself to be God, and not live according to my love for you and my mercy for you, I'll give you what you want. And that's, to fast forward to, um, let's see, well, it's right there at the beginning. Verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So if you want to live according to your, if you want to live according to your sin and apart from God's mercy, he'll give you what you want. And that's why it's easy to see, like, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost, it's, it's, it's becoming so normal these days um, that you see a family, so maybe the, uh, one generation they, they're faithful and the kids grew up maybe under an oppressive pastor or a weird situation or a dad didn't really care, but the kids were forced to go to like Sunday school or against their will, but they were dragged to Sunday school and they were indoctrinated by these parents and dadgummit. And the kids grew up and they actually maintained some kind of a, some basic Christian worldview, even though it's kind of tainted by some 
ill feelings uh, against the church. And yet they're like, well, I turned out okay. But I, I hated how my dad made us go to church. So we're not going to make our kids go to church. They'll choose for themselves. And they just don't. Why do we do, why do, we do that? <laughs> like, do, let, your ki- let your kids pick out your 401k investments and pick out your car and your house. Um, you make, those are the unimportant decisions. You make the important decisions. Go to church. <laughs> anyway, but um, what was I talking about? Doggone it, I got lost in the... Where's I going? Oh yeah, thank you. So, uh, so the next generation down, they, they grow up without any kind of bearing in the church, maybe Christmas and Easter, maybe an occasional vacation Bible school in the summer, but not really any kind of worldview, but a foot, at least a, a, a nod to the church, which is probably most of, like if you're in your 30s, a lot of my, a lot of my peers were that way. But then that generation, the next one down, raises a generation of kids completely detached from the church completely removed. And then the next one down is even like worse yet. So you see this, this past wandering away. Four generations, it's a pretty accurate number. It doesn't take long. I mean, count up, count back. <laughs> How does that? Well, God's giving us over to, giving us over to our sin, giving us what we want. Now, what's nice though, is that especially in the gospels, we see how it is, it's, it's, it's often when a person is in the third or fourth generation that's been so beaten by the, by the wrath of their own sin that they're actually ready again for the gospel. The prodigal son, good example of that. So there's always hope, right? But this is the stern, the stern, the stern warning from the Lord here is that he is a jealous God. What does jealous mean? What does it mean to be jealous for something? Envious of what someone else has? That's not necessarily, so that, that would be coveting. I guess you could look at jealous. I think, and especially here, to be jealous is to say, I want what's mine. I'm the Lord your God. You belong to me. I want what's mine. I, I, I love you. I'm not going to share. Uh, because ultimately, and this is, uh, so, other gods will tell you they want to share and they, they want to play nice, but they're not gonna. They're not gonna deliver. I mean, what was the first sin? This promise, this promise from the devil that you will be like what? You'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. They didn't even know what good and evil were. They just know that God is something other than I am. And... By being, by being faithful to him and not eating from this tree, this, we're just confused by this tree because they don't even know what evil is. Or they don't know what death is. But we know he was, we said, well, surely die if we eat of it. I don't know what that is. The devil comes along and says, don't you want to be like him? Be, be something other than yourself? And that's where the, so don't listen to God's word. Uh, don't, don't listen to his promises. He, he, he's holding out on you. He doesn't love you. There's something better hiding behind this sin of what, so what God has told you not to do is actually something that you really deserve. He's holding out on you. If he really loves you, he'll let you do this. And so that's always, the, that's a promise of the devil in every case. So he comes at us, he kind of tells us what he wants to hear, promising that whatever this sin is, is ultimately either justified or for our own good and, and God really understands me doing this thing and we want to become our own God. 
and uh, wander off from him. And so that's why really in our, in our t- we want to understand the Ten Commandments first and foremost given from, this, from the starting point of love, that he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. Our tendency is to hurt ourselves, and we do. So that, now that's, if you look at our, our actual reality, is when we take these Ten Commandments up and hold them up and measure ourselves by them, we only see failure. And that's why, as you, as you answered earlier, why does God give us the law to show us our sin? So that's the, the primary use of the law, according to Paul in Romans 2, uh, or 3, is that the law is there to show us our sin. Why? He doesn't, it's not just so that we know our sin, but ultimately to drive us back to him. So the Ten Commandments there, if you remember your, your, uh, your catechism for back in the day, if you grew up Lutheran, we've got the three uses of the law, the curb, the mirror, and the guide, if that, or the curb, the mirror, and the rule, depending on the language you might have heard. The idea of a curb is to curb society both non-Christians and non-Christians alike, with the, threaten, the, the threat of punishment. So if you're going too fast and you hit the curb, what happens to your car? <laughs> so you're incentivized to stay inside the curb so you don't do damage. So there's this, that's kind of the more the natural law, or the natural use of the law, that um, if, if, you're, if you murder, you, you, whether or not you believe in God, there's punishment for you, right? So it kind of keeps society in order. That's the, we call it the first use of the law. The second use of the law, the main use of the law, is that it shows us our sin, reveals to us the reality of our sin. And what's nice, slash terrible, is that it's, it's always convicting, and it's always accurate, so you can never actually keep it. The Ten Commandments were there, so to pick on an example, to like say, uh, thou shalt not, it's an easy one to say like, the, um, well, stealing. Let's go with stealing. Seems, seems innocent enough. I haven't knocked off any banks lately, so I've kept the seventh commandment. I'm good on that one. Check. I just got to keep. So if, if I'm trying to save myself, I need to make sure I know exactly what I need to do to achieve these commandments, which is why the Pharisees, by the way, are so interested in that. They want to they actually, they want to get, their hands around exactly what I can and can't do in order to achieve this commandment so I can check it off. Jesus has no interest in using the law for that. Jesus is always raising the bar. So it's not only that you can't take your neighbor's stuff, but like as Luther lays it out in the, in the small catechism, we're, we're called to not only take our, not take our neighbor's stuff, but we're supposed to what? So f- help, help him take care of his stuff. And in fact, if you look to your just so you have more books open in front of you. <laughs> open your, so you're, you're, you get your small catechisms. Um, if you got it, open to your small catechism. It's in the very front. The seventh commandment, which will be in the first like 30 pages somewhere. Right away. Page 14. So all the commandments actually follow the same rhythm. We should fear and love God. So... I fear and love God above all other things because he's my God. And when I break this commandment, I'm showing that he's not my God. So I fear and love God alone so that I don't take my neighbor's money or possessions. So it's easy to keep that piece of the law. Throw me in a prison somewhere. 
uh, I can join a monastery or duct tape my hands to my I mean, just like really practical ways that I can avoid taking other people's stuff. But that doesn't satisfy the commandment. Not only do I not take his stuff or get them in a dishonest way, but actually help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So it's, not, it's, it's, con, it's, it's convicting me of the temptation toward taking other people's stuff and actually doing it, cheating on my taxes, you know, fudging a little bit on the numbers here and there maybe. But also then, I'm, I'm actually supposed to be helping everybody else to improve their stuff. But when do you run out of neighbors to help with that? You don't. You cannot satisfy it. Same with the fifth commandment. You should fear and love God so we don't hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. So don't actually hurt him physically. Okay. But help and support him in every physical need. So when you walk into your house today and you open your, and you open your fridge, if there's, or your pantry, let's say, if, there's a, if there is a can of food in there that you are not currently planning on eating tonight, then you have not, you have withheld that from someone who's hungry right now. I'm not saying you should give away everything you have. I'm just saying this is the, this is the burden of the law. There will always be neighbors who need your stuff. You got, I'm sure you all have more than one coat. You have the coat for really cold weather, Chicago. <laughs> There's like that mid-season. Then it could be, I mean, if we're going to church, it's a nicer coat, you know, but that one doesn't have the liner that this one has. So like, I have too many coats. That guy's out there cold. I got so many coats. The law is pretty clear on this. Why do you have so many coats? So you can't keep it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try. But so the second use of the law is saying you can't keep it. You can't do it. The bar is always going to move out of range. When you think you can, it's always going to go up a little bit higher. The third use of the law, the guide, is this loving use of the law. That is that's God setting us before our neighbor, showing us how to love one another. So what does it mean for me to love Lee? Smack him in the face. And no. Apologize. And then apologize. <laughs> no. No. So taking, taking Lee's stuff. No. So the, the Ten Commandments actually lay out for me what it is to love my neighbor. So I'm, as a Christian, in my, even though I'm still a sinner in my sinful flesh, I am guided in my love toward my neighbor by the Ten Commandments on how to live toward my neighbor. Don't take their stuff. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. <coughs> Use the Lord's name rightly. Pray to him. Show up on Sunday. Have your sins forgiven. Repeat. Right? And, and really, it's the, have you, ever, have you ever noticed how much joy that you can get by spending a lot of time wanting other people's stuff? Isn't that just really satisfying? To just spend so much time despising what you have and longing for what everybody else has. Is that, is that a formula for joy and peace in life? Or it's perpetual dissatisfaction. This is why we have the ninth and 10th commandment. And we didn't have to tell you that it's not a good idea to cover your neighbor's stuff. But the idea, we're actually constantly doing it. In fact, I mean, Apple continues to sell us new phones because they're always putting a new one on the screen in front of us and showing us how these new features are really great. It's like, ah, now I'm dissatisfied with what I have. I want something more, right? 2022, white Hybrid Toyota Tundra, extended cab. <laughs> Until that truck was invented, I was satisfied with the Toyota Sienna that we have. Now it's just, it's a minivan. I don't need a minivan, I don't want a truck. 
<laughs> so, so longing for what we don't have seems to always kind of like destroy what we have. So, and God knows this. So he's saying, hey, look, I want, you to be, I want you to have joy and be satisfied with what you have. I've given you what you have for you to enjoy. And you're always looking elsewhere. And do, every time you do that, I'm going to forgive you, but it's gonna, it's gonna kill you. You're just gonna kill your joy. Don't, don't hurt your neighbor's reputation. Don't say mean stuff about him. You're gonna do it. And this is why your commandment is here to show you that how you do it and when you do it and why you do it and stuff. But you shouldn't do it because it's not good for you. And insofar as you love your neighbor, you shouldn't. And so the Christian life is this, this constant, um, the, the Lord calling us to himself, putting his name upon us, telling us don't touch unholy things, touch holy things, touch the good, not the bad, hear the, listen to the good, not the bad. You belong to me and I love you. And I've died for you and I'm with you always. And then we're always wandering off and he kind of pulls us back and forgives our sins. But that's, the, that's this ongoing, we call it sanctification in the Christian life, is this, as we go through life, we are strengthened in our ability to fight against the temptations of the devil. I actually would argue that it's not even that. It's not like there's some magical power that you're getting better at, but just like, why is it? I mean, just general, this is a generality, but I, I, I am blessed with the opportunity to hold the hands of a lot of dying elderly ladies. And in almost every situation, I walk away saying, that's a sweet lady. And I'll bet if I were to ask some of their sons maybe to reflect upon when she was, when she was younger, was she always this perfect? No, probably not. How is it that she ended up being this sweet lady? Because she learned over 90, 95 years, what's the point of saying mean stuff? <laughs> it's kind of nice to be nice to people. And they're remarkable. It's not, they're nice back to you. It's a brilliant thing. So it's like we kind of learn, we, and, we, and we grow too. We, we kind of evolve in our what tempts us. Luther says uh, mankind is, is tempted in their youth. It's in the youth, it's lust of the flesh. In the middle of the age, it's money. And at the end of life, it's reputation. So pride. So we kind of go through these, these seasons of life where the devil is tempting us in different ways. And as soon as you think you get one under control, the picture I, I mean, it's a bad analogy, but the picture I always use is like, it's goofy in the, in the raft in the ocean, like surrounded by sharks. And the classic scene of like, all of a sudden, boom, like a, a hole in the raft emerges and the water comes pouring in. And what's he do? He sticks his finger in it. And as soon as he does, what happens? Another blunk. And he puts this finger and then it's the foot around the head in the classic Disney episode of Goofy being himself. But this is the way it is with our sin, right? So we kind of, we kind of, we align all of our forces against the, the south attack and we leave the north exposed because we're sinful. So the idea of the Ten Commandments is not to get into heaven or, to, or to, to even, even to please God, but is to love our neighbor, and it's for our own good. Well, it, so it is, it is the, the secret to a good life would be to keep the commandments perfectly. Yeah. And so when we see our life kind of like bring us dissatisfaction or unjoy, it's usually where we're breaking the commandments. And that would include, by the way, 
having other, most importantly, the first commandment. If you want a little secret, what this, the, the, if you're in a pinch, if you're not paying attention, you're juggling kids, whatever, you're, you're in confession, absolution, corporate confession, absolution at the start of church. And you're like, I'm supposed to be reflecting on my sin. It says I'm reflecting on God's word. I have barely heard any God's word spoken. And as soon as you realize what's going on, we're on to the next thing. So just really quick say, I, 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 I want to be God. I don't, actually, I don't actually have faith that God is God, and I always want to be God. If I actually loved him and actually believed that he loved me, I wouldn't do the things that I do. So in my sin, I see my unbelief. And that's really the main thing. That's the main sin that we're confessing before God is my desire to be God. Now, none of us would say we want to be God, but that ultimately is behind our sin, is saying, I know what's better for me than God. He's holding out on me. I know what's better. Um, or, or, like, or actually, God's always watching. I mean, that's, that's looking at more from a, wrath, from a position of wrath, that he actually can always see and hear you. But we don't actually believe any of that. So in our sin, we see our unbelief. So um, yeah, easy, easy confession would be, I breaking the first commandment. I, I don't fear love in God like I should. I don't trust in him. I trust in myself. I don't fear him like I should. I don't, most importantly, I don't love him like I should. And there I see my sin. That's easy. And that gets behind all the other commandments. Um, we're at time. The, the, the nuances of each commandment, we'll, we'll talk about commandments again next time. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so the, you're like, why do you even craft a handout that you don't follow? because it's something to lean on if I, if I feel like I don't know where I'm going. Sorry, if you're an engineer, for example, um, uh, kind of like a rigorous by the book check, checklist kind of a person, you're gonna hate me because I never follow my handouts, but it helps me organize my thoughts in preparation for the class. So there you go. You get what you, you know what you're getting yourself into now. Uh, what I'd like to do next week is bring your questions. Well, first, are there any questions on law and gospel? Kind of at time. And I'm not, I'm not going to satisfy all of your concerns, but I want, so stick, stick with it, write it out, and we'll see if we answer more questions along the way. Good enough for an intro to the Ten Commandments and the law? So the next week, we'll look more maybe into particularities of some of the commandments, and that's important too, because what you're getting yourself into by becoming a member of this church is you're saying, I, I confess the scriptures in the same way that these guys do, that also means I believe this is God's word in the same way that these guys do. It also means I believe there's a right and a wrong, a good and an evil. If we don't know what evil is, we don't know what good is. If we don't know what sin is, we don't know what's being forgiven. And so I want to be clear on what is actually evil, according to the Ten Commandments. What is actually wrong, not that we withhold forgiveness from those things. That's, a, that's especially important today with regard to the issues of abortion and sexuality issues, like we have to be clear about what is wrong. Not to withhold forgiveness from it, but precisely to forgive it. You can't forgive a person if they're, not, if they're saying it's not wrong, you see? So I'm, I'm struggling with this, Pastor. This particular sin I'm always getting sucked back into. I pray for help and lo and behold, dadgum, and I keep going back into it. Well, you're coming to the right place. I said, call an ordained servant of Christ. I forgive you all of your sins. Like, this is the life. This is the Christian life. The same reason my dad, I feel like you're mad at me. 
Why? Why do you feel like you're mad? I just don't. I, I messed up earlier, and I, I don't. Please don't be mad at me. For my four-year-old daughter to say, "Please don't be mad at me," is like the hardest thing. She. Why? Why would? Why would I be mad at you? Because I broke the whatever. I'm like, I don't care. I thought, come here. Whoa. So this is why we come to church. <laughs> so he. Because in our sin, the devil wants to convince us that he's mad at us, that he hates us, that he doesn't love us, and he actually does love us and wants to keep delivering that to us time and time again. Now, there's a hymn we'll wrap up with. I won't make you sing unless you really want to, Stephanie. It's a shocking hymn. Um, it's called The Law of God is Good and Wise. And were I a good teacher, I would have looked it up in advance and had the number. But fortunately, it's an index. Is it on there? Yeah. yeah, five, seven, nine. I did look it up. I put the handout together too long ago to remember what it was on. It. Five seventy nine. So when we think about the law, again, we think bad. Like the law is bad. The gospel is good. The gospel is a good because the gospel means good news. So wouldn't the law then mean bad news? Well, no. It's only, we're, the law just shows us that we're broken. It becomes bad news, but as far as it's given, it is good. So I'll notice, by the way, the title and the page across from it. So you get the law of God is good and wise right there reflecting off of the gospel shows the Father's grace. But I'm just gonna read this for our closing prayer. The law of God is good and wise and sets his will before our eyes, shows us the way of righteousness and dooms to death when we transgress. Its light of holiness imparts the knowledge of our sinful hearts that we may see our lost estate and turn from sin before too late. To those who help in Christ have found and would in works of love abound, it shows what deeds are his delight and should be done as good and right. But those who scornfully disdain God's law and then in sin remain, its terror in their ear resounds and keeps their wickedness and bounds. The law is good, but since the fall, its holiness condemns us all. It dooms us for our sin to die and has no power to justify. And then finally, after five stanzas of harsh law, stanza six, to Jesus we for refuge flee, who from the curse has set us free and humbly worship at his throne, saved by his grace through faith alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, gang. Well, again, um, look to try, hopefully, hopefully, if you can, look forward to seeing you on.